Welcome to the Better Together podcast brought to you by the Emergency Services Foundation. This is a podcast dedicated to supporting and improving the mental health and well-being of the many people, paid and volunteer, who serve our community in emergency management roles. My name's Susan McKenzie, CEO at the Emergency Services Foundation. And I'm Sarah Hewitt, ESF's Learning Network Program Manager. Today we're speaking with Gina Mamone. Gina is the Senior Manager of Peer Support and Pastoral Care at Ambulance Victoria. And one of the programs she manages is the Peer Support Dog Program. I'll bet when she did her initial training in crisis intervention and managing peers and chaplains, she never thought she'd be herding dogs. Let's hear how that came about. Thanks so much for joining us, Gina. <laughs> Thank you for having me. So not herding cats, herding dogs. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so can you please tell us how did the AV Support Dog Program come about? Well, actually, it was our CEO, Tony Walker, who came across the initial concept of a support dog when he observed the use of a therapy dog in a regional Canadian ambulance service. However, we use a slightly different model in AV. Ours is a support dog program within the peer support program. It's part of a broader suite of wellbeing and support services. So what we are hoping to achieve from the program, so Tony came back and said, oh, I've got this brilliant idea. So yeah. what were you hoping to achieve? Well, we wanted to also align it to the wellbeing, you know, our mental health and wellbeing strategy. So because our commitment to the mental health and wellbeing of our employees, first and foremost, um, and our first responders, we wanted to look at some new ways to support them and improve psychological wellbeing. So the program for us and the opportunity to do a program like the Peer Support Dog Program provides us with another approach for peer support. And our aim was to really decrease the stigma surrounding help-seeking behaviour. And, you know, at the same time, we're increasing our awareness of mental health and wellbeing in our organisation, providing information on accessing our other wellbeing and support services that are available, for example, the pastoral care, our psychology team, and those other referral pathways into community around what's available to support people for wellbeing. Then, of course, we really wanted to look at the satisfaction of our people because of our commitment to improve their mental health and wellbeing as part of the broader workforce. You know, and look, we want to reduce occupational stress, and, you know, that can be very challenging in emergency service environments. And just to encourage conversations around well-being and normalise that as part of our normal workplace culture. Yeah. Um, I, as I understand it, you did a pilot first of this program. What did you learn from the pilot? What kinds of findings came out of that? Yeah, that's correct, Sarah. We, um, we really would encourage anyone to go through a pilot before going into uh, you know, launching into a full, full-time full program because for us a lot of the survey outcomes overwhelmingly demonstrated a positive and mental, you know, like a real meaningful impact from the program pilot. So for us that they told us, our people told us that this provided them with an innovative approach to peer support and it was seen as a welcome alternative as an informal way of providing that social support and connection. So we learnt that mostly. Mm. Mm. 
And you mentioned before that this peer dog program was something that aligned with the AV's mental health and wellbeing strategy. Is there a particular component or aspect of the strategy that it was most closely aligned with? It was really about innovation and a progressive modern approach. As an organisation, peer support is not a new concept in AV. It's got a 30-year rich history. So we wanted to look at a way of aligning it to what we do do really well in peer support, but to have a much more innovative approach to that and also to align it to what we know is evidence-based or evidence-informed as options of support to our people, not just having one thing applied to all sort of all things. We want to look at other ways of, to approach well-being. So I've got a gorgeous dog called Elbie, Cocker Spaniel, very gentle dog. But I guess it's not as simple as just bringing your dog to work. So tell us about how the dogs are selected and the training that's involved for the dogs and I guess their masters too. That's correct. Actually, first and foremost, it's the peer support responder who is the most important part of the program. The dogs are the icebreaker, the the opportunity to, to have the peer responder come visit. So it's really important for us to have the right people. And then if they have a dog that we put through a, a quite a, a structured and, um, and detailed training program and assessment program to check whether or not they are suitable to the environment. You know, we do go into places where there are sirens and, and loud noises. So any of those things, we really need to assess that for the dogs beforehand. We really can't have dogs howling at sirens when we hang around ambulances a lot. So, so the training for our peer dog responders involves an initial assessment and a training. We review them to see if they're suitable um, in our environment. So they are around ambulances, they're around loud noises and trolleys and, and those sorts of things. And we also see how they interact with groups of people and individuals and whether or not there is any um, behaviours in there that would be of concern because they can go into those environments. So what I'm understanding is the person is a peer who happens to have a nice dog. Is that right? That's correct. That's correct. And um, the dogs are all different breeds. They're not just one type of dog. And uh, so they're their family pet. Of the peer. Of the peer. That's correct. So they're not a trained therapy dog. Their dogs, I think one of the terms we used to describe them was that they're a happy idiot, really. <laughs> <laughs> and they have fun to be around. They love people and they, they love people whether or not they're going into a large group or whether it's just one-on-one with a couple of people. Okay. So it tells us a lot about their dog and their behaviour and how they love to be with people. So if I was an AV peer, I could put my hand up and say, I've got a great dog called Elby the Cocker Spaniel, could we be part of the peer dog support program? And then I'd go through that assessment with Elby to make sure that he wasn't going to hell when the sirens yes. and all of that. Well, you'd have correct. to make sure you don't have a snappy dog either. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. There's yeah. lots of behaviours. And there's sometimes, you know, different environments create different behaviours for, uh, for the dog. So we don't know that until we've done those types it's of assessments. True. Dogs can respond to people differently. They pick up on something too, and that can be variable, I'd imagine. Correct. Yeah. So day to day, how does the program work? You know, because I guess the peer doesn't bring the dog to work every day, do they? 
No, that's right. We actually have a full-time administrator of the program and her job involves really lots of scheduling because all of our peer support dog responders are our mostly our operational staff, though we do have others from other parts of the business. But uh, so it's about scheduling them and we we are probably more that proactive arm of the program where we can schedule visits to hospitals. So her role is to really schedule those have spreadsheets, communicating with the branches, the sites, the team, negotiating with managers and regional managers to take our staff off-road for those shifts. Um, she keeps a list of locations and branches that the dogs have visited. Um, she really loves Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> so she has a whole lot of sort of sheets, but she tries to mix them up so that our locations get different peer support dogs visiting too and we have a maximum of six dogs in any given week out and about visiting branches and hospitals and the like. Okay okay and how has um, COVID affected the program? Yeah well this is the first time you know the program was only new in in that beginning of 2020 so for us we were bringing in a new program statewide after the initial pilot and then we found that we had these restrictions so that we were limited to only going to hospital hubs. We weren't free to visit locations or corporate branches or our rosters areas. So a lot of those things were challenging. Um, we even found that the dogs were spooked by gowns. So the gowns that staff were wearing in their PPE, you know, flapping in the wind. In general, PPE, which was a lot more than what they'd initially seen. There was different smells of hand sanitizers. So the team wore PPE at home so they could get their dogs used to those sorts of things and hand sanitizer to, to sensitise the dogs to that. Um, and now they're, they're experts at that now, our peer support dog responders. Um, but even things like taking photos, because everyone loves to have their photos taken with the dogs, and we had to be 1.5 metres apart um, because people like to cuddle the dog and huddle around the dog. So those were challenges that the, the handler really had to manage when they were in the sites. And, of course, you know, the hand hygiene that was implemented by the peer support dog's responders because those who were petting the dog um, or patting it, the team had to carry hand sanitizers and to make sure everyone had sanitised hands. So, But there were some real positives as well. We found that there was a huge increase from hospital staff, and there still are, that joining the AV crews to see the peer support dogs um, and security guards, you know, the ED, the doctors, nurses, cleaners, they all were overwhelmingly loved to see and grateful to see the, the dogs. And, um, and we've noticed that the dogs are coping really well with large crowds because but really big crowds can exhaust the dogs as well. So it was something we've really had to look at as we continue to develop the program and understand the behaviour of the dogs in our environments. And COVID just gave us that extra piece. Yeah, interesting. Earlier on, you said that um, the peer dog program was introduced to, you know, address stigma around mental health. Interested in hearing what that looks like in practice. I mean, stigma is obviously a very, a very nebulous and difficult thing to, you know, see. It's not tangible. But how would you say it has reduced stigma if it has well, like I said, it, the dog's really the icebreaker because they have them much more relaxed conversations. So that in itself, just having a more sort of relaxed um, conversation, the peers are really good listeners. 
And what they do is they allow the staff to just talk about what life is for them at that time. So they talk about, you know, they even say sometimes things like, you know, I don't really want to talk to you, but I will pat your dog. But they are inadvertently talking to the peer by saying that. And um, the peers themselves provide information on the programs and what we also have available. So inadvertently what they're doing is they're promoting other services so that when they do see the peer support dog responders, they'll know that we are part of a broader suite of well-being, you know. And also, I think it's really helpful because the peer support dog responders are our staff. They make it all okay and normal to feel like, you know, sometimes you're just not having a great day. And to help, I guess, you know, knowing that you can seek help, it's really normal. So that in itself reduces stigma. And we have noticed that there is an increased usage more broadly of our whole wellbeing and support services. So to us, just those visits themselves indicate that there's a reduction in stigma around accessing support. So, so the peers, are, the, the program is a very proactive use of peers as opposed to a reactive? That's correct. We do, we do from time to time when we're aware of particular crews or areas, branches, where they've had really tough jobs, we will do a follow-up with the peer support dog responders maybe in the next roster or the next couple of weeks. We do all that sort of as well. But mostly we have a forward-facing role where it's a scheduled visits. We do all of that planning that goes into that and to try and reach out to areas which we haven't visited before um, because we only have the 12 dogs in the program. So we really are trying to reach as many of those places as we can and then we go back over. And, like, we would do a much bigger, broader visit to places like Gippsland who have been involved in the fires and so we've had a structured plan to follow those areas up, for example. So earlier on you you just spoke about the the risks and considerations of running the program during the time, you know, during the COVID response. Yeah. What are some of the risks and considerations that you had to take into account in general in running the program? Absolutely, and it's really important to understand that there are some of those compliance pieces, you know, both at state and federal levels in the areas of animal welfare legislation, codes of practice, you know, occupational health and safety legislation, things even around insurance coverage, requirements of working dogs, veterinary support, biosecurity concerns going into health environments, the use of a contracted external trainer and therapy dog needed to have therapy dog accreditation for us. There were industrial implications if we didn't consider those things, you know, and possibilities for deployment and ongoing training. So it needed to be a robust program that allows us to do all of those things. But also for the workforce, we needed to respect, you know, phobias, allergies, cultural concerns, you know, hence why we notify of our visits beforehand we don't just turn up because not everyone wants to see a dog and they may actually have an aversion to dogs so we also need to have permission of various sites to have dogs on those premises so we do all of that area and we get those things every three years we go back to those places and say is it still okay for us to bring animals into your environment because not all of our we don't own all of our buildings either So those sort of considerations, you know, there are those municipal and local laws around building leases and tenancy laws and things like that. Lots of things. (laughs) Or is, that's a lot of paperwork to have jumped to get a program like that up and running. Wow. 
Well yeah, done. Hence, hence why the um, the full time administrator for all of those pieces. Yeah. Of work. Gosh. Tell us about some of the dogs. You said you've got twelve dogs in the program. That's correct. Yeah. So they are all different breeds of dogs. We Bruce was our original dog with his his owner and the peer is Ken. So they're all different types of breeds, and uh, they do they do that initial training and. Um, what they do is they spend the day with our trainer, the external provider of training for dogs, and, you know, he just helps our peer support dog responders who own the dogs to watch out for things in the behaviour of the dogs um, when they need to be rested. And there are lots of lessons we've learned around that. But in addition to that, we have an annual training for the peer support team, the, the dog team. We also do six monthly audits where our trainer goes out on a shift with them just to check them in the environment, make sure that everything's okay. And that's really important. And also we've we've introduced, because of COVID, it was one of those COVID linings that comes out of it. We've, we have a, uh, every sort of two to three months, we have the team come on an MS Teams and we catch them up on different things. And the dogs come along too, which has been hilarious. <laughs> Very funny. Yeah. So you, you mentioned the dogs going into the hubs at hospitals to visit AV people. Can you tell us a bit about that? Um, just the role of the peer in that, do you, do you mean? Like about yeah, what, what it's like, like when the dogs go into these, um, are they wellbeing hubs at hospitals? They are, that's right. So so they do, they go what into the... Like? Yeah, so what they do is, is, as we know, as you know, I've said they're one arm of the peer support program very proactive so they they go in and they are a real circuit breaker so they go into those environments and people come out and visit them and pat them and have a bit of a chat and that's really really what they do they really are just there to yeah you know have a pat you know it's just a greater much more efficient way like like you say it's an icebreaker and it, it breaks down barriers and and, um, and on that note, do you, do you, have you ever had, uh, do you have a situation where there's some resistance, somebody that might be scared of dogs or yeah. how do you manage that? Well, they, they have the option. They don't have to come and do that. We don't force any of this like anything. Yeah, no, but there'd be no frights, you know, they they just, because they're, they're well um, aware of it because of all that planning you do. Yeah, yeah correct. They're notified beforehand. So, you know, like all therapy dogs, they get pats and cuddles and, by familiar people and unfamiliar people. That's sort of what they do. Yeah, yeah. And another question I have is, um, is that, you know, you've given us some indication of all this background work that goes into this seemingly simple program. Is it an expensive program to run? And would you say it's worth it, you know, in that cost-benefit analysis or whatever you do? Mm. So my response to that is yes and yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so it is all of those things, but it is worth it. It, it it just provides a new way and allows people to go, oh, that's really nice. And they really do. People that love the dogs love them. You know, yeah. if they don't, that's okay. It's hard to, you know, it's hard to, well, maybe there are, obviously I'm not an economist, but how you um how measure. you calculate and communicate and measure the impact. And is there something want, you do for that? Yeah, what we would like to do is we would like to continue to do that ongoing research pieces of work as we continue to evolve the program and we start to survey the organisation, we'll, we'll actually be able to get a lot more data around that. There are there there is a lot of um, literature around the value and importance of 
dogs in the workplace and how that supports. So it's just a matter of continuing that piece of research and work. Yeah, yeah, and you'd have to work quite innovatively with how you how you measure something so so major and yet so elusive. Yeah, it's, it's great. You know, I know other agencies have said, oh, you know, AV's got this program, it's great, we'll do that. But I just think that they haven't got any idea of the planning and, and what's, you know, the risks and considerations and everything that you've put in place. It seems like you've done a really, really thorough job of that. If you had many agencies approaching you about the program? Yeah, look, we were really fortunate when we set it up. We, Our acting director of wellbeing and support services at that time had a, an animal welfare background and understood a lot of this. So we were really fortunate to have her expertise to really overlay that before we started the pilot. So that is an advantage that we had in that. Um, and what has happened since then is other people are, of course, interested in the program. And when I can, we provide that information to them before they start to launch into it. And because it isn't as simple as it might appear on the frontward facing. But mm. there are other, other organisations that are trialling dogs in the workplace, not necessarily aligned to a peer support program, but, but much more broader and different pockets of the organisation. But you know, we are one of the first ambulance services to incorporate support dogs into a peer support program. So I do find that, that, and they do reach out and I do tell them about the things that they could consider. And various states, of course, have different laws. So to do their research before that, but first and foremost, they really need to have a dedicated person to the program. And that's often what doesn't ever, they try to tend to sort of throw it in with another program or another person's job. And, you know, that's where, you, you you know, you've got so many things to do on a day-to-day basis. So I would always encourage people to consider that first. Yeah. Have that dedicated person to do all of that, you know, have the governance structures in place and, you know, the, the policies. Because we've got policies around heat because dogs can't work in certain heat. There's all of those sorts of things that you need to consider. Yeah. If you're going to do it, do it properly, I guess, is the message. So do you own a dog? I don't own a dog. I would love to own a dog. (laughs) Has it made you look at dogs differently? It absolutely has. I learned so much by just watching their little behaviours and things and what I would do. I mean, it just hasn't suited my lifestyle at the time, but when I'm ready, um, I will seek advice on that because what I have learned is that you you don't just buy a dog and then, oh, that's a nice thing to do. You really need to dedicate time and your love to get the best out of your of your animal. So that's the sort of thing I would do and, and get one that suits me, that works for me in my life, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. So now I know that your dogs have done a calendar. Tell we us about cal- that. <laughs> have a calendar, yes. We did do a calendar. It was probably one of those things for me where it was an off-the-cuff remark about, We've got 12 dogs, there's 12 months in a year, we could have a calendar. And uh, it turned into a great idea. We had a photo shoot and we had all sorts of fun with that, the dogs posing and running around with their owners. So, you know, and they've all got their own dedicated months of the year. And we even had them as a screensaver for part of, of last year and then it sort of quickly got taken over by COVID. But there actually is a mental health message, a wellbeing message it's, that's dedicated to each of the months as well on the calendar. Oh, but they have been a real success in that in that space, yeah. 
That's fun. And what about it? There must be some other funny stories that you've, that the you know, <laughs> the dogs, dogs always just do whatever they want to do. They lift their true. leg. It, you know, <laughs> I'm always terrified when I go to Bunnings that Elvie's going to lift his leg on the fertiliser or something. That's correct. Um, of course, one of the early one of the early visits we did when we expanded the program, one of our peer support dog responders was distracted, which is talking to one of the crew members, and uh, she turned her back on the dog for a few seconds, and she found that she's eating the dog was eating someone's morning tea on the floor. It was a, you know someone's muffin, and it wasn't just an ordinary muffin; it was a homemade muffin, and it created a bit of a mess. And she was really concerned that that someone would that we would get a complaint. So I sort of preventively acted in that in sort of following that up to make sure there wasn't going to be some sort of a problem from that but they're eating machines you know dogs like they do like to eat a bit of whatever food's laying around so what we learned about that is just keep your eye on the dog all the time because (laughs) yeah keep your eye on your food (laughs) so so we we do test them for that you know prior to coming on board but as I said earlier sometimes new environments you know they create that new or novel and a novel environment can create a novel behaviour of a dog. So, you know, we're still relatively new. We're learning lots about that. And we have these conversations with our external trainer and he helps guide us around the policy. So that, you know, the, the uh, responders always have the dogs on the lead. They never not have them. They don't hand the dogs to anyone else. So they always have them attached to them. So, you know, they're little things. But, of course, that was a funny story about the muffin eating episode (laughs) very good the dogs must have brought so much joy to people since they've been in place because you just know when you walk down the street with your dog and people want to stop and talk to you and you you know the name of all the local dogs you don't know the name of your neighbors no that's right it's really interesting and you know I've never seen you know, we've got people that lay on the floor patting the dogs and, you know, you wouldn't get them doing that at any other time, you know, but they do and they love posing with all the dogs and I'm sure there's someone out there that's got all of the dogs and their photos, you know, like selfies with all of them. So it could be like creating their own little calendar. <laughs> <laughs> Very funny. Gina, it's been fantastic speaking with you today and sharing a bit about that program because I know lots of people are interested in that peer dog program and, and how it works. So thank you very much. My absolute pleasure. And thank you for listening to this Emergency Services Foundation Better Together podcast, which aims to provide you with insights about mental health and wellbeing from experts, thought leaders and people on the ground. And if you want to know more about what we do, or better still support our work, please go to esf.com.au.